This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Two hours in the book. Anthony Heron here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. First Sunday morning I've had in a little while. I'll be joining you on uh, some some Sundays that are coming up here in the weeks and months to come as well. And you, of course, hear me all over there, the evenings and other shows as well here. But it's nice to get up on a Sunday morning and be able to react to a bunch of things that are going on in the sports world. That Bulls game from last night, uh, the latest MLB news like we just got done discussing with Mike Farron. One hour to go. I'm taking you up until noon here today. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. But uh, I haven't talked to any Bears yet. I know you guys get all up in arms when I spend a lot of time chatting on here without yakking about the Bears. I did want to get some of that in in the final hour that I'm with you. And, and, and we're a few minutes away. We're going to talk some Olympics later on this hour with Lewis Johnson of NBC. And if you've watched the Olympics uh, really over the last couple of decades, you have seen Lewis Johnson covering the biggest and best events that they have over there. And obviously there were a variety of storylines that developed from Beijing. So I'll be able to discuss that with my guy, Lewis. Looking forward to that conversation. But the Bears specifically uh, interest me at the moment because we've only heard, really just a bit, we've only heard, we've only just begun um, to hear from Matt Eberflus, the new Bears head coach. And there's a lot of stuff that I, I, I just, I love about being here at the score love working at the station good people fun times willing to address all kinds of topics and you know don't take themselves too seriously can get into nuance and and have like real intellectual back and forth and use a bunch of big words and everything else and that i i love that about the folks who who get to talk sports on this station at the same time I'm, of course, a, I, I'm a jock. I, I have a good amount. While I do love my big words, and I've, I've got my own like personal little you know, vocabulary I love to roll through with things, I got a lot of meathead in me as well. And so, you know, there are times when the, the sports nerds at the station here, they do bug me a little bit, I must admit. I've, I've addressed that a little bit here since the, the Eberflus, Eberflus, since his introduction as the Bears head coach. I suppose really probably of the – you know, the folks who were, who were full-time here at the station, got their own show, got the name on the show. Layla is probably the closest there is to a real meathead at the station. You know, like anybody with their name on a show, may, maybe Mully. Mully's definitely got a little meathead in him too. But if not Mully, probably Layla is, is 
probably the only just real real meathead that's here at the station. I think pretty much everybody else is kind of admitted sports nerds. And so the reaction to the the Eberflus hire, the Eberflus press conference, you know, it's it's been somewhat muted, and mine has been muted as well because you know there's only so much to to know about Matt Eberflus. He is not while well, he's been around the block a lot. He's not one of these guys who has been amongst the hottest of hot names in coaching before getting the job. But part of what I suppose has, I suppose, I don't know, turned people off may be an overstatement, but has people, I guess, concerned is is just that he is, uh, the the way that he is, is viewed, the way that he communicates, what he talks about being of importance to him uh, about his team and the way he leads things for the Bears. And, you know, I, I don't know what folks expect football coaches to sound like or to talk like or, or anything else. You know, like I said, there's a lot of really smart people here at the station who do their homework and everything else. But, you know, it's one of those things, like the same thing that'll make you laugh or make you cry. So as much as I love the fact that we got sports nerds here at the station sometimes, when those sports nerds here, like the coachy coaches, the the football guys use their slogans and acronyms and talk culture and everything, then you know, the sports nerds just get a little bit like, eh, is that going to work? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. But one thing I do know is that there are, there are other names who are head football coaches, others in, the, or in and around the NFL, who people view as like geniuses or, or gurus or anything else, who folks clamor for, get all worked up about. You know, Sean McVay just won a Super Bowl. And he uh, has obviously what, been to two Super Bowls in a handful of years as the youngest head coach in NFL history. So I think it's fair to, to call him sort of a football genius. And Brandon Staley, a guy who was here working with the Bears for a brief period of time under Vic Fangio and has quickly ascended to becoming a head coach. And he, you know, pretty quickly uh, was uh, – I, I think he had a winning record this season. Brandon Staley was successful this past year, but he somehow owned one in the playoffs without actually qualifying for the playoffs. He had that that sort of, you know, got to have it game at the end of the season. And some of his decisions, he's viewed as a guy who maybe blew it in that finale against the Raiders. That doesn't mean Brandon Staley won't end up being very successful as a head coach with the Chargers, but it did, it, it came to mind for me. Like how, what do these guys sound like? Because I, I think we we certainly hear clips here and there that get aggregated, but you know, I thought a little bit about because there was a lot of reaction to, of course, like all we have to react to up to this point is Matt Eberflus's initial press conference, his press availability, and we've heard him a little bit mic'd up. So I figured, let me hear what Brandon Staley sounded like in his introductory press conference with the Indianapolis Colts. I'm gonna play play you a little bit. I'm gonna have Caesar play you a little bit of Brandon Staley. One of those things that the assembled media asked Brandon Staley about a year ago around this time. They, they just asked him to describe what are the traits of a Brandon Staley team? I, I really, you know, something that's really important to me, Cameron, is that we have a connected team. When you talk about like the traits of, you know, I think a championship team and certainly the team that, you know, I'm going to try and build is a connected team, uh, a team that knows one another, offense, defense, uh, in the kicking game and, and a team that knows um, how we're planning to win the game, you know, but even before that, how we're planning to compete together, you know, because competition comes long before winning does. 
you know, and I think that connect, you know, a, a connected team is, is certainly, um, you know, at the forefront of, of what we're trying to, to create here. And I think a team, you know, that's mentally and physically tough, you know, this is a really, really difficult game. It's a really difficult league. Um, and you have to have guys with makeup, you know, Cameron, you got to have guys with makeup that when you play in all these big games, all these tight games um, against all these great players and coaches, you got to have guys that when you got to have it, that you have it, you know, and so you can only do that with people with makeup, you know, and, and there's so many challenges that you're going to face each and every day in this league, let alone when you play. And, you know, I think that that me mental and physical toughness is something um, that means that means a lot. So I think those those two things really stand out is the con being a connected team and being a mentally and physically tough team. He's talking about connectivity, talking about toughness. He doesn't sound like some guy who's splitting an atom as he's addressing the, the L.A. media and the, and the collective Chargers folks out there posing questions to him about football. He just sounds like a football coach. He sounds like a guy talking about culture. Gasp. Let's hear a little bit more. This same introductory press conference from Brandon Staley. And uh, he, he had talked before this moment about the fact that his mom was a teacher and, and what that meant to him, how that informs the way that he tries to lead his team. And, uh, and one of the things that he talked about was specifically just why teaching was so important to his success. And he went into to detail about that as well. But let's move to uh, a Matt Eberflus cut here where Matt Eberflus uh, – very similar vein. You know, he's addressing the assembled media here in Chicago, his introductory press conference. And one of the things that was asked of him was essentially, since this is going to be his first time as a head coach of the Bears, basically what, what are the challenges? And they, they asked both he and Ryan Poles. Of course, you remember Ryan Poles was there and Matt Eberflus was there. They were sitting next to each other. So Ryan Poles answered the question about kind of the challenges of having the big chair, having this prominent job for the first time, and then Matt Eberflus stepped in and talked about having the big chair for the first time as well. The selection process for me, you know, as we're dealing with, you know, right now the immediate process of that is selecting coaches. You know, so how can I do a great job of evaluating with Ryan, with George, and us together coming up with the right plan of the people we bring in as coaches? Because that's the most immediate. These chairs are filling up. we got to do a great job. And I'm not in a big you know, hurry. We're not in a big hurry because we want to make the right decision. You know, so what do you look for in a coach? You look for a guy that wants to partner with players. He has to be able to do that. So that takes the right kind of heart and the right kind of mindset, okay, to be able to do that. Because you're really here to serve and be of service of the player. And how do you do that? Well, there's a couple ways you do that. Well, you have to model the right behavior, okay? You have to do that. Because if you want your player to be calm, cool, collected, focused in the game, guess what? You, as your, the partner, the coach, have to be calm, cool, collected, okay, and focused. That's what you have to be, right? And the next thing is be inspirational. You have to be able to inspire, okay? So we're looking for guys that can do that, you know, in that partnership with the player. you got to be able to inspire them. And the, the third thing, and probably one of the most important things, is challenge. You have to have the, the heart and the, and the mindset to be able to challenge these guys because you push them to places they couldn't go themselves, and that's what you do as a coach. That's what you do as a coach. And at the last part is, when you, when you do this, when you model, inspire, and you challenge, the last part is encourage. Because there's going to be bumps along the road, right? There's going to be downs, right? It's going to get down. It's going to get up. It's going to get down. How do we handle with the success and adversity? But it all goes back to the selection process. 
We've got to get the right kind of guys that are able to do that, that partnership that's so important with the player. Partnership, building a connection, serving, teaching, getting the best out of your players. Like those, I mean, none of it is revolutionary, but both guys virtually sound the same. Like if you didn't know for sure what their voices sounded like, it would seem that Brandon Staley and Matt Eberflus are essentially reading from the same script. One's a few years older than the other one, but both defensive coaches who've come up through the ranks, who've coached the game for a while here, both at the collegiate and the NFL level, and are now getting their first or you know, Staley now coming off his first season as a head coach, Ibafus getting getting his first opportunity coming up here. But you know, I just I, I wonder a little bit. It it really it it came into my head just what what do folks think these press conferences are supposed to sound like? What do they think is being communicated to the media in these other cities from these other guys who are viewed as kind of the the young, like uber intelligent coaches, and I just, I'm, I was really trying to figure out what, what do we think sounds a little different from them than what we hear, uh, or what we have at least heard in the, in the minimal amount of times we've gotten to hear from Matt Eberflus so far. How different does it really even sound? And I, I'm not hearing a big difference there. But there's also Sean McVay, of course, and there, there's no doubt the the hottest and brightest young mind in football right now is that the, the big brain of Coach McVay out there in L.A. with the Rams. And he's he's had a mic'd up session. We've heard a little bit of Matt Eberflus mic'd up as well. Let's hear a little bit of Sean McVay himself, just mic'd up on the field with his players out there taking on some Rams practice. Hey, when we come back, let's jog back, man. Let's look sharp. Let's look crisp. Let's do things the right way. No balls on the ground. Let's go. Good right there. Very good. Love that. Good. Good. Good, 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 good. Here we go. Rapid fire. Let's go. Well, I think, you know, there's different phases of our offense, you know, that we try to utilize. And, and again, it's back to the players, you know, their ability to be able to uh, operate at the line, operate in and out of the huddle. And when you've got smart, conscientious players, uh, you can kind of change up the way that, that you're coming at people with, with that tempo throughout the course of the game. I don't even know what half of that meant. It's just Coach Speaky Gobbledygook, and that's okay. That's how coaches sound sometimes, especially when they're on the practice field. So we did hear. We heard a little bit from Matt Eberflus as well when he was the Colts defensive coordinator for several seasons. There's been a, a mic'd up clip of Matt Eberflus has been out there as well. Let's compare that with this, you know, the new Bears, coachy coach, football-y guy. See how Matt Eberflus sounds by comparison to the, the football wizard that we just heard in Sean McVay. Here's Eberflus. Hey, where was your eye focus? Look high to me. Keep it down here. Go, 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 go. Ooh, here we go. Take away. There you go. Head away, I. Head away, I. Nice job, man. Hands work together. Nice catch. You got to focus. It could be tipped. Could be tipped. Nice job. Great focus, Kari. We touch it. We catch it. There you go. One, two, three, back. Oh, yeah. The vacuum cleaner. Head away, 5 0. Head away, 5 0. That's way to keep working. So, my point here, because. You hear one guy with a slightly more, and actually, I don't know, Sean McVay's got kind of a gravelly voice too. His is just of a little higher pitch, a little slightly higher octave than Matt Eberflus, I guess. But both guys just sound like football coaches. But this is what football coaches sound like. And, you know, I know not everyone has spent a lot of time on a football practice field. I don't know what the expectation is for how a football coach is supposed to sound that doesn't have that wouldn't have us concerned about, you know, what's going to be what's going to come 
of their time here in Chicago with the Bears. But in the end, like coaches are out there saying coachy coach stuff and and sometimes speaking in tongues and using, you know, acronyms and using slogans and catchphrases and everything else. They're just trying to do what they can to motivate guys to teach the game in the best way they can teach it. And in the end, they're all going to be judged by what they do on Sundays, what they're doing on the sidelines, when they are and aren't going for fourth downs. And Zach Taylor made a Super Bowl and his first big decision, he goes for a fourth down that he doesn't get. I had just been tweeting like the day before, or maybe the day of the Super Bowl, that Zach Taylor, Sean McVay, neither one of those guys is uber aggressive on fourth down. Both are far more conservative than what a lot of people would sort of assume or anticipate because we kind of have them in this box of being this metric-based football genius that operates with numbers and, and, you know, we just see them like a beautiful mind, John Nash style, like they're just doing all this futuristic stuff. They're not. They're coaching the game and trying to lead people, and some people are a little more intricate and creative with their schemes than others, and in the end, it will come down to whether or not, you know, their, their success happens with those critical moments that happen on Sundays. But, you know, because Matt Eberflus. I don't know, didn't use a whole lot of big words in his press conference. I actually thought he was really fairly detailed with how they actually implement the hits principle, how they grade it, talking about things with the running backs and where where they need to be on gaps and how their, their system works with trying to make sure they're getting the most out of their players, how they teach players within that. And conceptually, they go beyond schemes and go concepts on offense and defense and, you know, doesn't mean Matty Flusses. He might go 0 for 17 this coming season. I don't know, but I haven't heard anything that concerns me, certainly not by comparison to what any other head coach would sound like mic'd up on a practice field or what any other coach sounds like at their introductory presser. So I just I wanted to do a little bit of a side-by-side or, or one after the other comparison between the two just to give some context to what we have or haven't heard yet from Matt Eberflus. We will certainly hear a lot more as we move forward. But I did promise some Olympic discussion. Let me get to a timeout. I'm running late for that. Got my guy Lewis Johnson on the other side of this break. Just to wrap up what we all just saw from the Winter Olympics that was there on NBC, we will do that next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. What better way to come out of a commercial break than with that outstanding guitar solo from the man they know as Prince. And right now we'll go out to the hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And I will uh, I will be joined now by one of the world's most illustrious broadcast talents who frequently travels the world most often for the sport of track and field. He is Lewis Johnson on Twitter. At Lewis Johnson, MG, fresh off of another Olympic Winter Games broadcast. And uh, when you see Lewis Johnson somewhere, there's normally a big event taking place. Lewis, what's happening, man? How you doing on a Sunday morning? I'm good, and I, I think I'm in Spokane, Washington, although my body and my mind feels like I'm hanging out somewhere over the Pacific Ocean <laughs> between Beijing and here. So I'm good. And I, I found that part to, to be as intriguing as anything, just the, the way that that everything had to play out, even just to to get the winter games on, to make it happen for you guys. And you were you ended up being I was mentioning this earlier in the show, and you know, it's the the industry has adjusted for a variety of reasons over the years and how people are doing resources, who's in person, who's calling it from home or from the studio, or whatever. But obviously there were additional extenuating circumstances where even less 
announcers were there in person for this Olympic Games than at any other time. You've called so many Olympics over the years. Just the process of, of being able to be there in person and be amongst the few who were able to do that. How different was that experience for you this time around? Uh, I don't know if even different qualifies. I mean, it was unreal. Um, I think a lot of viewers would be interested, your listeners would be interested to know that, um, yeah, most of our announcers were back in Sanford, Connecticut at, uh, at the NBC headquarters, but some of us who were in the reporting role, we had to actually interact with uh, with our uh, athletes and, of course, all the support folks, the producer and the audio and camera people. We were all there on site. But, man, everything we had to go through to, to just get on the charter at LAX was unbelievable. Uh, flying into Los Angeles two days before the charter um, to do all the COVID testing, all the documentation, the paperwork, the access had to be submitted to the Chinese uh, consulate there. And I got to tell you, I was actually asked to come out a week early by surprise just because they were concerned about people testing positive off the plane and then not being uh, available to work the opening ceremony, which I was also going to be working. So I had to hustle up with everything I was doing and planning and then get to L.A. earlier, a week early. Uh, went through all the protocol, and for some reason, the QR code that we get has to be green to board the plane. Well, mine turned uh, red on uh, Saturday morning, the day of the flight. Um, staff members were hustling to send notes and ex- explanations for a particular question that I'd answered. And I got to the airport, and, and I was literally standing there against the wall at the Delta counter, which was handling the charter for NBC. And about six of us had red QR codes. And we went from an hour to go to 30 minutes to 15 minutes to 20 minutes. And finally, the cutoff time, and the guy said, I'm sorry, we had to cut it off. And I was not able to board the charter, getting out there a week early to try to go through all that to make it. So I flew back to Dallas, uh, home for four days, and went back to Los Angeles. We did the entire process again wow. uh, to finally get on the charter on the 29th and then long ride over to, to Seoul. The Delta changes crews, and then we go on to Beijing. And then, of course, there's the processing there at the airports, which does include the brain scraper uh, nasal swab. That's uh. what everybody calls it. Oh, man, I mean, stuck it all the way up into the brain. It was unbelievable. And then we finally got our bags and got to the hotel after midnight. It was just nuts. Uh, and that was just the beginning of the COVID protocols we had to deal with. But uh, all in all, um, I'd say the games are worth it, but it was, it, the whole thing was just unprecedented. And for you, because of the, the variety of opening ceremonies that you've been able to be there, to cover, to be a part of. And so you've got, and you know, we had like our, our Layla Rahimi who works here at the station. She, she covered as a reporter the men's and women's ice hockey over in the Olympics. And she was there in person in Beijing. And you've been, been able to be there for so many opening ceremonies. I'm wondering that from, from you at least getting to be near the athletes during that, because the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games tend to be as big of a spectacle as many people end up seeing in, in sports, in broadcasting, in production, you name it. For the athletes themselves and in, in getting to, to be there in preparation for it, to watch it play out in person, how, how different was that? Were the athletes able to sort of soak it in and enjoy it, or did that feel different than normal? I think they were all able to enjoy it. Um, you know, listen, uh, I speak about our journey as journalists getting there, but really we're there to cover the athletes, and they had just the big of a challenge of getting there as well. There were so many. Uh, there were several athletes who were also flying on Delta charters over there who tested positive before the charter, and their Olympic dream was over. There were athletes who got off the plane and maybe within a few days uh, tested positive, like American Alana Myers Taylor and her entire family, and they were suddenly in quarantine. So now their dreams are, are compromised. So I would say that everybody that I ran into and interacted with at the opening ceremony, I was actually in the staging area at the hockey arena, just about 100 meters away. 
they were grateful to be there. There was a true excitement, as always. Uh, I've worked 12 games, uh, if you include Tokyo, uh, this last one, and I've been a part of several opening and closing ceremonies. And there was just an actual natural joy uh, to actually be there in the midst of this global pandemic. Uh, and, and you see it on all levels. Um, I think it's something important for people who, who enjoy watching the games to remember that, you know, out of all the athletes that come, you know, a very small percentage, maybe somewhere five, six, seven, eight percent of the people who win medals. Uh, so the joy and the, the victory is, is actually being an Olympian. And, and I felt that when I was there. So basically I'm in the, um, uh, uh, I'm in the uh, hockey arena. there doing some pre uh, uh, pre uh, event interviews that were pre taken and dropped into the show. And it was just exciting. Everybody that I spoke to, including, including Sean White, uh, just excited to be there, to be able to be a part of it because they realized how hard it was to get there. And now at least they have a chance to, to compete on this stage that you only get every four years, unlike all the other sports we have. Lewis Johnson, my guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score, joining me on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas Hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. You can find Lewis on Twitter at LewisJohnsonMG. And the the COVID protocols that were there, you you know, in past Olympic games where, you know, we, we think of like the Olympic Village and athletes get to sort of interact with folks from all over the globe. And, you know, you get to go there and kind of see what the what, what the local food is like. You get to experience the local topography if you are covering a sport where you get a little bit of time away. We, you know, think of that as being just a part of the experience that may be there. I know you've enjoyed that portion of it so much in years past and getting to to check out different parts of the globe. So how different was that portion of the experience? How much lockdown was involved by comparison to what had been there in past Olympics you've been a part of? Yeah, all of that stuff you just described was erased. It was gone. <laughs> Those opportunities to, yeah, to get out and enjoy the culture. And I'm telling you, you hit it. That is one of the greatest parts of being able to cover the games, not just the moments we get to experience, but being able to sort of, you know, get yourself in the culture and go see things. Uh, back in 2008, when the summer games were there in Beijing, we all got to go up to the wall and experience uh, that. Um, just all kinds of things. All that stuff, that's all wiped out. So you're basically in the closed loops, uh, which I think was a system that worked pretty well. Uh, we were staying at a very nice Hyatt hotel, but I was about 45 minutes away from our venue up in Yongqing, which is the uh, sliding center, which were, which is where uh, Luge, Skeleton, and Boston were contested. Uh, and within that closed loop system, we actually had all of our COVID testing there at the hotel every day. We had to get a throat swab every day. Did I say every day yet? We had to get a throat swab every day. Um, yeah, and we cleared security uh, at the hotel. They got on our buses and then went to the went to the venue. So um, yeah, the experiences that we normally would have covering the games with all the extracurricular cultural opportunities were gone. But you know, I would just say this: you know, you 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 you're you're part of this movement and a part of covering these types of events because you love it. You, you, I always tell young broadcasters that want to be in our business: you need to know what your why is. What is your why? And I know that I love the storytelling element. I love the uh, the moments that we get to be a part of. And, um, you know, if I'm going to be in this business, I, I just love covering the Olympics. So you decide that I'm going to embrace these challenges and go through it all. But it was not easy. Uh, it was not easy at all. And I missed that cultural activity that we get to do and just having fun. But, look, let's hope by Paris uh, 2024 that things are back to normal in Airfield so that we can have a, um, a much more normal Olympic experience. I, I really hope so. 
If you've watched any of Usain Bolt's uh, record-breaking performances in Summer Olympics past, you've seen this man interviewing him after all those gold medals. Here's Lewis Johnson here with me on the score. One of the special storylines that developed in this past games, because you were there at the Slide Center, and so you got to cover all, all the slide sports, and you were there for, like you referenced, uh, a lot of Myers Taylor and what she went through. And she was one of the athletes, of, if I'm not mistaken. She initially tested positive, and she was in quarantine having to stay in shape and, and prepare to try and pursue her medals. Well, what was her storyline like that played out, and how, how cool was that to be involved in telling her story? It was really awesome. And Alana Myers Taylor is just an incredible athlete, an incredible um, a standard bearer for what the game should all should be about. And really, I think I think a lot of professional athletes, or collegiate athletes, should pay attention to not just her story, but how she managed her story. I mean, it was very, very difficult. Um, you know, she had uh, she and her husband, who were on the team. Her husband um, is uh, was an ultimate on the men's team because he is a box letter. Uh, and they have a, a, a new son who was a special needs son. He's a Down syndrome baby, just a beautiful little boy, and uh, Nico. And so they were there as a family. And her father was on the trip, too, to help with the baby. Uh, but they had done a great job of avoiding tested positive for COVID, you know, throughout the uh, run-up to the games. And throughout that last stretch of the World Cup, though, they were doing well. And then finally they went to Switzerland to get away from everything to try and make sure they stayed clear before the trip to Beijing. They did so. But within landing, uh, within 24 hours of landing in, in Beijing, China, they all tested positive and suddenly were all in quarantine. So imagine Alana Mars Taylor with a new baby. She's in one room. Her husband, is Nick, is in the next room. And down the hall is the father and, and little Nico. She's a breastfeeding mom, so she's pumping milk to send down the hall to get to her baby. And she's thinking about her opportunity, which may be dwindling away, you know, um, at the sliding center uh, because she's in quarantine. She can't work out. So they're sending her equipment. She's trying to do her, her workouts in there in the small room. She's doing interviews. She's trying to stay engaged with everybody to keep her spirits up. Um, and she was going to be a part of the first ever contested monobob for women. So it's basically a single boss, a boss that with a single pilot in it. Uh, and it was going to be the first time there. So she's wanting to be a part of history. Ultimately, she got out of quarantine, came to the sliding center, had her four training runs, and was able to uh, win the silver medal behind New American Kaylee Humphreys, who was a Canadian four years before she came, became an American, and she won gold along with Marcelo and Silver. And it was an incredible story to be able to be a part of that. What made it even more special, Ant, was that um, just by, I guess, incredible planning and sheer luck, uh, the plan was after the Super Bowl in Los Angeles on NBC, they came live to our venue for the final runs of that monobob where Kaylee Humphreys won gold, Alana Marcelo won silver. And this Incredible story came full circle right there. And I think somewhere around 100 million people saw that. So that was all pretty cool. So there are just so many great moments that can happen. And despite the challenges of a pandemic and all the other things that go on, uh, you just try to make the best of it. And again, for all we went through, being a part of stories like that, make it all worth it. That's the thing where, I mean, there's so many reasons for you know, folks in general in our society and then even where sports fans, like I was talking about the, the Major League Baseball lockout for a big chunk of the show earlier. Folks are getting tired of hearing about those things. But, you know, a situation like this where, you know, the term Olympic spirit and, and what represents that and, you know, a story like a lot of Myers Taylor, it, it really seems like that's, that's what the games can be and, and should be about in the midst of, of everything else that deserves coverage of what's going on in Beijing and China at large and everything else. And I really felt like Mike Tirico and the NBC crew did a nice job continuing to sort of weave that reality into the, the coverage of the games themselves. But then you have that opportunity to tell some of the special stories like you're you know, sort of recounting for me here. 
in the end to to even not not have the ability to be there with your broadcast partners i mean how how different was that just to to know that you you may be taking and tossing to people who are still completely on the other side of a globe did, did that really greatly affect just your ability to kind of do your gig in the way you normally do it actually it didn't uh, it was uh, it was just incredible um the pandemic has forced uh, television to as you know we we both know from our coverage of college football together and other things has really forced uh, television networks to find different ways to bring uh, events to air. And with everything being settled basically in, in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, and my colleagues literally working in the middle of the night, uh, prepping and then, of course, announcing the races and then throwing to me for interviews live, live, you know, across uh, the world, it was actually pretty cool uh, to be able to make that happen and, and, and happen in such a seamless way. I got my producer in my ear as we do when we're working TV together, and, but she was – uh, there in Sanford, Connecticut, in the middle of the night doing their thing. So it all worked uh, really well, I thought. And uh, again, if you didn't know that we were literally on the opposite side of the planet, you wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know. That's how well it worked, I thought. So we just had a great uh, camaraderie, a great team spirit that made it uh, made it possible. We try to have fun with it. There's no reason to complain and gripe about it. If that's the case, you ought to be doing something else. So um, we, we just did our thing, man. It has fun doing it and um, send pictures back and forth to each other, you know, to see what our situation looked like that day. And I know there were these little cubicles, you know, announcing uh, the races. And But, you know, I'm working with my man, Lee Diffie, who uh, does a lot of the uh, motorsports racing calls on NBC. He's just unbelievable. He's the one that nicknamed the sliding sports back maybe three winter games ago, the House of Speed. Uh, so mm-hmm. we love to have fun with that. So we just make it fun, man. Just have, just try to have a good time with the coverage that we do, even under the conditions that we're in. Just have a, have a great time with it. And remember that it's not about us. It's about the athletes. It's about the stage. It's about the moments. And that's, that's the way we approach it. And so much of your, your coverage during summer and winter games is about speed. I'm wondering. So you've, you've seen some of the fastest humans running on their feet on planet Earth during the summer yeah. games, and you cover the, the sliding events. And I, I don't know how – I was just talking about even uh, me, Kelly Bishop. We just came back from a quick little ski getaway. I, I don't even like the idea of just, you know, snowboarding down a hill really fast at this point in my life. So can you try to just d- describe what exactly it takes for those individuals within these slide sports, the speeds they go at, the the small margin for error where they can turn that thing over? I mean, what what is that like witnessing that in person? It's crazy. Okay, now I, I think I can fathom somebody getting in a bobsled, all right, because you've got this actual physical sled around you, right? But I cannot for the life of me figure out how somebody has the nerve to put themselves on a sled to either go at the luge athlete where you go feet first or a skeleton athlete where you go going face first down the track at 75 or 80 miles an hour. It's crazy. So at some point, you identify this. You say, this is cool. You start, like, in the very low sections of the track, you know, after you've done some training to maybe take the last two or three curves. But at some point, you've got to go from the top. And when you when – you, television doesn't do it justice, Ann. If you're standing at the track and you, first of all, see where they started and you see how much of a, of, a, of a degrade it is going down the track and all these different curves and things that are sometimes just beyond understanding. I, it's crazy, and the amount of speed and and the just the the element of of having to get it right, otherwise you can turn over and you can you know we literally watched a young man lose his life um, at the Vancouver Games in training and lose it. It's just devastating. So you know that can happen. So um, it's it's really crazy. But I'll tell you this: I feel and I smell uh, um, 
uh, more of a crossover coming from some of the athletes, say, for instance, track and field. We've seen a lot of speed coming to winter sports. Um, I did a piece uh, with NBC News uh, regarding black athletes and the lack of black athletes, athletes actually in the winter games, but how that may be beginning to turn around. And so bobsled is kind of the obvious transition, right, from uh, being a sprinter to maybe being a pusher. Football players who maybe have suffered an injury um, coming into bobsled may be one thing. But I think we're going to start to see uh, more speed skaters, uh, maybe short track or maybe long track coming from maybe track and field or other sports like that. And I think we'll also see the same with the sliding skills, maybe more lose your skeleton athletes. I've got one skeleton athlete, one guy in mind who I'm not going to say his name, but he's a prominent sports personality, I'll call him, in the Atlanta area. <laughs> in the Atlanta area. And I'm not going to say the sport because I might give too much away, but I've already reached out to him and I told him, I said, I think that you ought to take a look at the skeleton thing because you represent speed in a very unique way in the sports world in Atlanta. And I think you should take a look at the sport as maybe something that you might pursue because I believe he was interested in, in bobsled before. So I'm going to leave it at that. But wow. uh, I think we're going to see more of a crossover of athletes coming from the traditional summer sports and exploring the winter sports, and especially more black athletes, which I think would be very interesting as well. But anybody who's interested in something different, man, the winter games are awesome. Uh, really, really awesome. Well, no doubt, as those stories develop, and perhaps as you maybe influence some of this here and there, we know you will cover it as well <laughs> as anyone, Lewis. Really appreciate you taking the time this morning, man. Glad you're home safe. Uh, home for just another two days. You know I'm going back on Wednesday for the Paralympics, right? Right, right. And folks who make sure they tune in for that on Peacock <laughs> and throughout the NBC family of networks. Right? You, you go back for the, for the Paralympics every time out, and you do spectacular work there, too. Looking forward to watching it. I appreciate it. Thanks. Take care, and, and continue all the great success there, my man. All right, thanks, Lewis. That is the great Lewis Johnson. You can find him on Twitter at Lewis Johnson MG. And I don't know. I mean, we've heard uh, Dominique Wilkins been back in the news here a bit lately. He's probably a little long in the tooth. That's a prominent Atlanta sports area athlete. I'm sure I can get Lewis to maybe tell me off the record here. Maybe, I don't know, Jamal Anderson, perhaps, you know, former Falcons running back. But take some guesses. Hit me up on the text line, 312-644-6767, and who Lewis may have been alluding to there former Atlanta area sports figure. I guess he didn't even specify athlete. He just kind of said sports figure, but I don't know. Must be an athlete if, uh, if it's someone who may be attacking uh, some sliding sports or have some Olympic potential. But also, um, before I get out of here, because there was uh, some huge basketball scores and storylines that have developed throughout the weekend here, and I was catching up on some things uh, yesterday while I was driving home and got to share my thoughts on some of the things, especially where they sit in the basketball space on the collegiate side of things. We'll do that next before I get out of here at noon. I'm Unbelievable! <laughs> yeah, that's what yesterday was on the college hoop side of things. I mean, if you got to take much of it in, of course, now that we're at this point in the calendar, we're getting into late February and we just experienced the final Saturday uh, before we get into the month of March. And what a Saturday it was. And more of you will, will kind of consume it at a higher level as you get the opportunity to start placing your wagers as, as conference tournament action starts up and then the NCAA tournament. And, um, man, yesterday, the first time ever – that each of the top six teams in the AP poll have lost on the same day. And uh, the, the weekend is still young. We are early. We are still on Sunday morning at the moment here in the central time zone. So 
Gonzaga, not Gonzaga, Gonzaga lost to St. Mary's, uh, who Wisconsin beat, and Wisconsin had a, had another big win over the weekend here, their men's basketball team, but Gonzaga lost to St. Mary's. Arizona lost to Colorado at number two. Number three, Auburn lost to Tennessee. Number four, Purdue lost to Michigan State on a not exactly a last-second walk-off, but on a, on a very late three-pointer. And uh, number five, Kansas, lost to Baylor. Number six, Kentucky, lost to Arkansas. Not Arkansas, but Arkansas. So all of the top, top six teams in the AP poll lost on the same day. It's the first time that has ever happened in the history of the sport. You also had number nine, Texas Tech, losing to TCU. Providence won the Big East regular season title. Florida State had a last-second uh, a, a walk-off game-winning heave as well. So it was a big college hoops day yesterday for just from a storyline perspective. And now that we're, we're at that point in the year, we talked a lot of NBA and Bulls early in the show, but college hoops will continue to find its way more and more into the, the conscious portion of people's minds as opposed to simply just viewing some highlights here and there and, and wondering what may or may not end up taking place man there was a lot of really good really big hoopage that was going on as many of you know i, I spend a lot of my time during the week on on sirius xm big 10 radio and so you know the the games that remain today will still be big because illinois right now the illini are in the top 15 but they got to respond because they're coming off of a, a loss they just had the other day to ohio state in a tough game so the illini are facing michigan michigan still without Jawan Howard, so they're going to face uh, the Wolverines. That game's going to start just later on this afternoon. You're going to have Ohio State coming off their big win, and they're continuing to enhance their tournament resume. Ohio State's on the road, taking on Maryland. Danny Manning's trying to see if he can get some big wins to close out the season and leading the Terps as their interim head coach because their previous head coach, Mark Turgeon, kind of got tired of everything, basically. He was tired, tired, so he decided to step aside. Now Danny Manning has taken that program over. So it's not an easy place to play when they're going to be uh, in College Park, but Ohio State trying to mount uh, a, an enhanced tournament resume. Indiana is a team that definitely needs to put some wins together. They're going to be taking on Minnesota later, and Nebraska taking on Penn State. So the Big Ten and the Illini, their center, the Illinois center, Kofi Coburn, he's in a position right now where it, you know, he's still in the discussion for Big Ten Player of the Year, but it's a very wide open discussion right now is where the Big Ten Player of the Year discussion lies. And frankly, whoever ends up winning Big Ten Player of the Year is going to have the inside track on, on winning National Player of the Year as well because it's another season where Big Ten men's basketball is so deep and so talented and the standings that just continue to to ebb and flow and and vacillate and bounce around in all these different directions. And right now, as I sit here talking to you, Wisconsin coming off another win. Wisconsin has the lead. They lead by a game over Purdue because Purdue got upset by Michigan State. So Wisconsin coming off their win, they have a one game lead at fourteen and four in Big Ten play over Purdue, who's thirteen and five, and Illinois is a game and a half behind. So it's a huge game today where Illinois needs to try and stay within striking distance. They got to try to keep pace. So they got a big one today if Kofi Coburn can come out there and have another big effort. But this matchup that the Illini will end up having against Michigan is a, an intriguing one because Coburn, he's going to match up now the, the center for Michigan, Hunter Dickinson. He's not a guy who just in like physical girth can really go mano a mano with Kofi Coburn, but just in sheer height and certainly in skill, he's right there with Kofi Coburn. And so 
Coburn does tend to. Life is more difficult for him, understandably so, when he's facing other big men who do have a similar stature, a similar skill set, who make him work on the defensive end in a different way than when he just has sort of this physical mismatch against a lot of his opponents. So that's a game I'm going to watch closely. Looking forward to checking that one out. And then in the end, it can go a long way towards determining that conference player of the year discussion. I know we got a lot of Illini fans who listen to the station, who who watch their games very closely. And overall, I think Illinois is going to be in fine shape either way, but they were in position for a little while. They've had to lead a couple of different times this year on that Big Ten championship picture. And so they, they got their big game against Michigan today. And it's a, a game where we'll see whether or not everything that took place with Jawan Howard a week ago today, how much of a galvanizing sort of influence has that been on the Wolverines because they're in a position where they, they need to try and solidify their tournament resume as well. So whether it ends up being, you know, Kofi Coburn or, or Jaden Ivey or Johnny Davis or Keegan Murray or EJ Liddell, there's a, there's a handful of different players in and around the Big Ten who could conceivably still win the Big Ten Player of the Year and end up being considered for National Player of the Year as well. So that that is one to to make sure you are having a close eye on just related to, to Big Ten basketball coming down the stretch here because that's still wide open, really coming into the, the final days or final weeks of the, the schedule. The Big Ten Player of the Year on the women's side, there's no doubt about that. And I'll say this, if you haven't seen Iowa wing player Caitlin Clark, if you haven't seen her play yet, you're missing out because everything you saw from Steph Curry during the NBA All-Star Weekend, that's essentially what she does in the women's game on the collegiate side. So my Iowa Hawkeyes led by Lisa Bluter, Caitlin Clark leading the nation in scoring and assists. Believe me, you will not be disappointed if you check her out. She is turning into box office. People tune in. People enjoy highlight after highlight. Their final game of the regular season for the Iowa Hawkeyes as they face the Michigan Wolverines led by Nas Hillman one of the other potential National Player of the Year candidates. That's going to be a great game later today. This has been a fun show, as I anticipated. First Sunday morning, I've been able to spend here on the score in quite some time, but coming off the football season, I will have an opportunity for more Sundays with you moving forward. So my thanks, my appreciations to all the guests I had on the show today. Casey Johnson talked a lot of bulls with him. Mike Farron gave you the latest on the MLB lockout. And, of course, as you just heard moments ago, Lewis Johnson with an Olympic wrap-up as well. As, you know what, Cesar Perez, really appreciate you too, my friend. On the ones and twos for me throughout the day, appreciations and salutations to all of you out there for listening to me, Anthony Heron, here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.